welcome to Fourth Dimension, but Holy Spirit does it all. Here is Cody Jones. God bless you. Anybody in the house tonight? Been arrested for many things besides the gospel. But when the police pulled up tonight, they were looking for some of you. I told them you weren't here, so. I got arrested. I went to jail. I got out uh, January of 2012. And then by March, I was back locked up. And I, there was a uh, chaplain at this program I was in. They call it a program, but I call it a prison because if a program has barbed wire around the fence, that's still considered prison. And if I jump the fence, I'm going to get in trouble. So there was a chaplain there, uh, incredible African-American pastor. He was, uh, he was a great man. But, you know, they had a choir in the the program. Now, as a Christian, if you can't, if you don't know what your gift is or you don't know what you're supposed to be called to do, they'll just tell you like sing or something. You know, you may not lead the singing, but just get up there with the choir and your voice will blend in with everyone else. Amen. And you'll sound good according to the people. And so, you know, my dad can sing. He can let it rip. I, I thought I need to bring him back down here. I need to bring him back down here. And, uh, but I thought, well, my dad can sing, so that I, I have inherited that gift. If my wife was here, she'd tell you otherwise. Right? She'd say, keep it in the shower or in the car by yourself. Other than that, just don't sing around me at it. And, uh, but I joined the choir, and I, you know, I'm going into these Bible studies, and I'm going into these classes every week with this chaplain, and I, I had a great idea, you know, you get one of those every once in a while, amen? But you know, you got a good idea. It didn't come from you. It came from the Lord. Amen. Uh, and I, I asked the chaplain, I said, how would you feel if my dad came in here and preached the gospel to, to the people in the program, you know, a couple hundred people? And so, lo and behold, I did, you know, and the reason that song, and I'm going off this because that song we were just singing about how, how great is our God. You know, that chaplain took us out of the building one time to like a conference or some of some sort. It was more of like a convention. And they had me, they had us get up and sing, and they had me sing that song, and I sang a solo. Um, I promise not to torment you tonight. I don't feel like that's a little demon, so I'm not gonna sing that over. <laughs> but I thought who in the world would let me sing a solo? Yeah, ain't nobody else so, but my dad came in that prison. I can remember my dad came in there and he told his story about how the Lord changed his life. How many of you in here have never been in a service with me before? Raise your hand. Oh, wow. My gosh, you guys are hard work. <laughs> I just got a lot of catching up to do. Amen. Because you're like, where, where's this guy going? My, I was raised around drug addiction my whole life. My father was addicted. My mother was addicted around the streets as a prostitute. And so grandparents on both sides were either drug dealers or drug addicts. And so guess what I became? A doctor. Not a drug addict. <laughs> <laughs> but I became a doctor. No, I, I became a drug addict. Amen? And, uh, but my father did almost 10 years in prison. He got out when I was 18. And uh, I began selling drugs for him immediately. 
And my father got radically saved 18 months after his uh, release from prison. He was facing 10 more years in prison, and God radically changed his life. He told a story the other night that I never heard before. We were in prison ministering together for the first time, and he got up and told this story to the men in the prison, and he said, he was, you got to understand, he did 16 and a half years as an adult from the time he was 18 until he was 40. So he had about six years on the streets as an adult by the time he was 40 years old. So that's not that much time. You know, so he gets released from prison. He's selling dope. He catches a new charge. He's facing 10 years in prison. And he is for sure that he's going back to jail. You know, he got saved, was serving the Lord for about nine months. And all of a sudden, a secret indictment comes out on him where he's facing now 10 years in prison. And he had just married my stepmother. And he told the story. That he went into the bedroom. <laughs> he, he went into the bedroom the morning that he was going to court. He took out his wife's lipstick and he wrote on the mirror and said, I love you and I'm sorry. He took his wedding band off and he laid it on the dresser because he was for sure that he was going back to prison. He walked into the. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to be able to get to this. Say this with me. Say, do not, do not despise prophecy. Despise prophecy. There is power in the word of the Lord. Amen. See, you say, well, I don't believe in prophecy. Well, you believed in prophecy when they told you you weren't going to become nothing. That's right. They told you you believed prophecy when they told you you was going to be like this for the rest of your life. That's right. If you believe God's word over you the same way that you believe the devil's word over you, God would raise you up and make you a warrior. You receive the word of the Lord. Amen. My father goes in, into that jail and he didn't know that through that whole time that people had been taking pictures of him while he was doing ministry. When my father got saved, he was going to juvenile detention center twice a week. He was going to the jails. He was going to homeless shelters. That's where I got, my father led me to the Lord at a homeless shelter. He asked me to come listen to him preach. I came and listened to him preach at a homeless shelter. And I got saved that day. That's when I gave my, my father led me to the Lord. And wow. then, it, 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 And you know, he paid that lawyer a lot of money. It wasn't the uh, public pretender. 
Yeah. <laughs> Got his suit jacket and his pants from Goodwill. They're dragging the ground. You know. <laughs> he, he walks in the courtroom. He doesn't know the difference between his head and his rear end. Yeah. Yeah. He's running around like a chicken with his head cut off, and you're thinking, this is the guy representing me today. Amen. My God in heaven, if I get out of this, there must be a God. Amen. You can just tell when you talk to them, kind of attorneys, you go up and you say, hey, I'm so-and-so, this is what I'm here for. And they just start shaking their head, and they're like, yeah. you know, you've not answered one of my calls. You've not returned any of my messages. So you already look at your family, and you say, hey, love gives, love gives.
You have to get the word of the Lord for your future. Because if you don't get a word from God for your future, all you're going to do is live for a coin that marks how many months you've been paid. But God will create you to have a plan to mark how many years you've been paid. He created you to have a plan and a purpose over your life so that you can go impact other people. God, no matter what word has been spoken over you, God spoke a better word over you. It doesn't matter what word man spoke. What matters is what God spoke. Because the word of God is alive. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces between soul and spirit. Between the thoughts and the intents of the heart. God's word can accomplish in one day what you couldn't do by your own will. Said, I knew you wasn't going to Frank, I'm talking about having a tenacious faith on the inside of you that believes God in spite of everything around you, no matter what it looks like, no matter what it feels like. Because you have to understand, when the word of the Lord comes forth in your life, Jesus said it like this. He said, when the seed is planted, which is the word of God, then all of a sudden, the enemy, the bird comes in and tries to steal the seed that was planted inside of you. God prophesied over you in this room tonight that every seed that's been planted by God in your heart, every seed will grow into a great tree. It will grow into a tree of life. And no devil in hell is going to stop it. Amen. The only way that we get stopped is when we quit believing the word of the yes. Lord. So me and my father going to that prison, 17 inmates, give them, you know, guys in there doing life, they're never getting out. But they receive the hope of Jesus Christ to believe for a better promise than where they're currently at. And my dad told me, he said, I'm in here for life. He said, yeah, that's what the judge said. But that might not be what God says. Just like the judge said, hey, you're going to prison. Just like the prosecutor said, you're going to prison. Even the law said, mandatory, you're going to prison. But when you serve a living God, Should I just go to the first one? Oh, no, 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 no. 
God. Yes. Yes. Show hand. You want to know what God's will is for you? I'm about to tell you. You're going to think, I ain't going to have some Bible first. What is it? Verse 18. Thank God in everything. No matter what the circumstances may be. Be thankful and give thanks. For this is the will of God for you. Amen. Be thankful. Lift up holy hands, giving thanks and praise to Jesus. Be thankful. Be thankful. The, the devil, I told the guys at Teen Challenge last night, the first thing the devil comes to steal in your life, it's not kids, it's not a job, it's not a career, it's not your spouse. The first thing he comes to steal is your joy and your peace. Why? Because if he takes your joy and your peace, you become ungrateful. People want you to be grateful when they come to the Lord and then they get offended by a pastor or a preacher or because someone didn't let them do something in the church or someone said something sideways to you. Just be thankful that you didn't knock them out this time. You say, if you would have known me 10 months ago, I would have laid you out right in the middle of this floor. But thank God I give praise to Him that I didn't just put you down on the ground. I lay hands on people still. I just don't do it physically. Amen. I'll tell you this. When I lay hands on them, they still hit the floor. That's right. <laughs> Amen. Be thankful for this is the will of God for you. Who are in Christ Jesus, the revealer and mediator of that will. Verse 19. Do not quench, suppress, or subdue the Holy Spirit. Verse 20. Do not spurn the gifts and utterances of the prophets. Do not depreciate prophetic revelations, nor despise inspired instruction or exhortation or warning. We like the do not despise prophecy, but we don't like the part where it says, uh, don't despise the inspired instruction, exhortation, or warning. Some prophecy is a warning. Because you heeded my warning. Brad. Because you heeded the warning of God that came from prophetic insight into your life. The same word that you've received from multiple people. That there is about to be a separation that takes place in your life. It's because God's about to take you to a higher place. But those people cannot go where you're going. And don't worry about if they come with you or if they hang behind. But because you heeded the warning. I'm about to do exceedingly above, above all that you could ever ask or think beyond your highest prayers, your highest desires, and your highest dreams. I see you going higher. Come on, come on. Come on. Do not despise the warning when it comes. Warnings are no fun. That's like when your dad says, hey, if you do that again, I'm out going to take off my belt. And you're like, all right. And then when you hear the freaking bell start to go through the roof, it makes that noise. You know that there's no longer a warning. I'm in trouble. Don't despise the warning. 
1 Timothy 1.18. This charge and admonition I commit and trust to you, Timothy, my son. In accordance with the prophetic imitations which I formerly received concerning you. So that inspired and aided by them, you may wage the good warfare. Or other translations say, my son Timothy, I charge you concerning the prophecies concerning your life. Wage a good warfare. See, when the first when we hear warfare, the first thing you think about is a demon and someone puking in a vat. But that ain't what God thinks about. The first warfare you need to get in is the one concerning the words that God has spoken over your own life. God will send people into your life to send a prophetic word. Or God will speak himself through the Holy Ghost to you concerning your life. And you have to contend. What did Paul say? Wage good warfare. What does that mean? Go to battle with the word concerning your life. Build a structure. If you look at that in the Greek, it's, uh, I don't know how to pronounce it. It's like stratomine. But that word comes from strategy. And if you look up that word to wage a good warfare, to build a strategy, it's to build a military service as if you were going into battle and you were looking to win. How many words have we received over our life, but we didn't structure our life concerning that word? Therefore, the enemy came in like a flood and we weren't ready and he took us out. You can't just receive a word and then not do anything about it. You have to begin to structure your life concerning that word and then begin to walk and step into that word. The question is, is what has God spoken to you? I know what he's spoken to me. And if God has spoke something to you, I'll tell you how to know if, if you've heard the Lord or if you've obeyed him. It will always produce souls. It will always produce fruit. I know a lady, she said, God told me to quit my job. Wow, pretty amazing. That God speaks to everyone to quit their job but never tells them to go get one. You should quit your job. No, you should go work. Can I hear an amen? amen? I know working is like the least spiritual thing that we've heard of. But actually, how many of you believe in for a, a wife or a husband? You believe in God? Amen. Before Adam, before God gave Adam a wife, he gave him a job. That's true. Come on. Before, before God gave Adam a wife, he gave him a job. Hello. So that Hello. he wouldn't live in her mom's basement. Come on. So that he wasn't driving her car, right? You know those guys, they got their seats all the way leaned back so that they can't see the signs on the side of the street that say, now hiring. a sign from God. You've seen it. It said now hire me. Well, I'm called to be an apostle. Have you ever worked 40 hours a week? I'm called to be a prophet. Oh, so you're going to prophesy over other people. 
but you couldn't hear the word of the Lord that told you to go get a job. Yeah. <laughs> Abraham was a cattle rancher. The Bible says Abraham was rich. Do you want to know how the, the, the number one starting point for financial prosperity in your life? Work. There's a lot of other things involved, but work is number one. You can do every of the other step, but if you don't work, you don't get it. Work is the key. Because the Bible teaches in Deuteronomy 8 that God gives the ability to create wealth. When, when the Bible says that God gives us wealth, He's not talking about a scratch off. Come on. Yes. He's talking about an idea that will generate wealth. What was Abraham's idea? Abraham did something different. He built wells while everyone else was having to travel for water. So he built his own business, which generated money. And the Bible says that Abram was rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. So you can't say God told you to quit your job and then you say, I'm rich. With what? Well, I'm spiritually rich. No, you're spiritually brain dead. Yeah. <laughs> so for all, I, look, I'm prophesying over some of you. If you want a spouse, go work. Amen. Don't, don't find your wife in the line at the soup kitchen. <laughs> Don't find your husband at the bar. That's right. Find them in the house of God. Kneeling at an altar, crying out for approval of God.
Fight the fight. Wage war concerning what's spoken over you. You ever met those Christians? That cop pulled up out there, and I know someone in the back thought that, that's the devil trying to stop the meeting. No, that was someone speeding down the street. They got They always point. They always point everything back to the devil. It's amazing how easy it is for everyone to hear from the demons and the devils, but they have such a hard time hearing from God. Stop it. No, I'll say she's going to stop it. But you need to fulfill the purpose. 
concerning what God has said over my life. Till I come, devote yourself to public and private reading, to exhortation, preaching, and personal appeals, and to teaching and instilling doctrine. Verse 14. Say this with me. Say, do not neglect, do not neglect the gift which is in you. The gift which is in you. The word neglect does not mean to write it off as if it's not of God. When he said, do not neglect the gift, what Paul was saying is, do not treat what I've spoken over your life, the word of the Lord that you've received, do not treat it with carelessness. Some of us have received words from God. You birth a promise. You become impregnated by God with something eternal. And then you strive and you push and you nurture and then you finally push that promise out and then you take it to the drop-off box. Let someone else raise that thing up. No, what God put in you was for you to birth so that you could take care of it. We need to get rid of all our spiritual stepdaddies that God's not asking us to give our promises up for adoption. He's asking us to be men and women of faith in the promise that He puts in us. We're called to take care of it. Do not treat what God has spoken carelessly. I guarantee you, anyone in here that has known me for any period of time, if someone comes to you tomorrow and says, what is Cody Jones doing right now in the ministry? I, everyone's going to have the same answer. What is it? He's going to all 120 counties in the state of Kentucky. Because when God speaks a word over you, the Bible says when, when a soldier does not get entangled with civilian affairs. If certain people in here have been in the military, if you've been in the military, if you were there for three weeks and you got a call from your wife, said, hey, our son's birthday party this coming Saturday, I need you to be there. You ain't going to the drill sergeant saying, hey, brother, I know I signed up for six months, but uh, I, I really need to just go home and be a part of my kid's birthday. He's going to say, oh, okay, don't come back. But when God gives us an eternal mission, we get involved and entangled with things that are meaningless. Not that your child's birthday is meaningless, but you understand my point. The devil's job is when God speaks something to you, is to get you to do something that's kind of like it, but ain't it. Get focused on something else so you don't fulfill the word. Why? Because the devil knows that if you're not stepping out on the word that God spoke to you, the labors, if God's not building the house, then the labor that you're doing is in vain. Do not neglect the gift which is in you, that special inward endowment which was directly imparted to you by the Holy Spirit by prophetic utterance. When the elders laid their hands upon you at your ordination, listen to what it says, practice and cultivate and meditate upon these duties. The thing that God has spoken to you, if you have joined a program and you made a commitment I'm going to do 90 days or whatever it was they asked you to do. You should practice, cultivate, and meditate upon those duties right now. Yeah. Quit worrying about a year from now. I was talking to Shane and Paul earlier. God has given them a mission here. How long have you been doing it? 15 years? Guess what? Other preachers come along the way and say, hey, 
we love what you're doing, but come over here and just do this a little bit. No. Do the thing that God told you to do. Come on. Nothing more, nothing less. Don't be entangled with religious political systems to be a part of the good old boys club. Do what God told you to do. Amen. Throw yourself wholly into them as your ministry so that your progress may be evident to everybody. Why are my promises coming to pass? Because you're not throwing yourself wholly into them. How is your progress? How are you going to attain a promise when the people around you don't even know what you're living for? He said your progress should be evident to all. God spoke to me. Well, maybe uh, 2013, May 14, 2013, I was sitting in the back of a 15 seat passenger van. If you've ever been a part of a church or a rehab, you know we love those things. Right? Yeah, that's all right. <laughs> if you get in it tonight, a stale fart from three hours ago is going to come out of the seat. <laughs> if you bounce on the 15 seater, then you don't understand what I'm talking about. But everyone that's been in the 15 seater knows exactly what I'm talking about. That's all right. I was sitting in the back of that van by myself, and the Lord spoke the word revival to me. I was reading a book. I had never heard anyone preach on the revival, never been in a revival, didn't even know what, the, what revival meant. I was reading a book, and I began to read a portion of a chapter that talked about two men who were in a revival in Asbury in 1970. They were touched by the glory of God. They began to travel to other churches and share what happened to them. And when they shared what happened to them, the same thing that happened to them in Asbury began to happen in other churches. Do you know why God puts his glory on you? So that what you experience, you can now cultivate wherever you go. If what you have does not work everywhere, then what you have does not work. Rodney Howard Browning made a statement. He said, you know, living in revival is not a meeting. When you're living in a state of revival, you're always in a meeting. When I'm at Starbucks, I'm in a meeting. I'm looking for the anointing. What does God want to do in this moment? Who does God want to speak to in this moment? When I'm at the school, when I'm at the grocery store, I am in a meeting. But a lot of us, we only are aware of the presence of God and the anointing when we're in a church service. But how many of you understand? The anointing is not for you. The anointing is for someone else. When you come into a meeting, it's to receive everything that God has for you. And then to go unleash that anointing on a lost and dying world. That's why an anointing showed up in a courtroom 13 years ago with my father. They weren't in church and the prophecy came to pass. The anointing was present. Because the anointing is heaven's solution for earthly problems. If you're having an earthly problem of... Mental abuse or torment or addiction. The heavenly solution is not to refer to you to a psyche. Not to put you in a straitjacket. There should be a heavenly solution that can set the captive free. Amen.
The Lord spoke to me in the back seat of that man and said, your life will be marked by revival. I've never even been in one. I was only five months clean on heroin. But guess what I've done for the last ten years? I have grown myself wholly into the task that God spoke concerning my life. Yeah. I don't live for anything else in my life. It's revival or bust. It's revival or riot. I'm a riot maker. <laughs> what that is is revival happens in our town. R-I-O-T. And if a, ri a revival don't happen, then a riot's going to break out. That's the book of Acts. Everywhere they went, it was either revival or riot. One of the two. Pick. What are you stirring up? We've Come been trying Don't stir up anything. Let's keep it calm, brother. We don't want anyone to feel. We don't want anyone upset. Yeah, people say like, and, and, let me tell you, because I know people, they, when I come in places like this, people are like, man, you were really being mean to those people. No, I wasn't. I don't even know how to be mean. Ask my dog. He's being mean. No, I am stirring you. I have like a prodding iron. Why are you sitting on your rear end and doing nothing? Get up and do something for God. Believe God for the impossible. That's what he said. We told the testimony of uh, of going to the schools. God spoke to me. Go to the altar. He gave me a word from the Lord. He said, don't just look for churches. He said, go anywhere that the door opens up. This coming Wednesday, I'm going to speak at a women's rehab with about 140 women. I don't know how I got that deal. God sends me, and this has always been the cross of my heart, God sent me to where people are hungry. Send me to where people are thirsty. I don't want to just do something just to do it. I want to do something that's going to produce eternal impact. So he said, don't just look for churches. So I just began to open my spiritual eyes and say, all right, what are you saying? Where do you want us to go? God started to open up doors in the prison, in the school. Now, understand this. When God spoke to me about the counties, I told the Lord, I don't even know people in 10 counties. I don't know anyone in Kentucky besides... Carl Sanders. <laughs> That's a pretty good chicken. <laughs> My wife gives me a hard time because I'm just going to tell you I preached one time. And I was reading his name and I thought everyone's been calling him Carl, but his name is Colin. <laughs> I got up and started preaching. I said, Colin Sanders. And people were looking at me like, who's he talking about? And my wife said, if you ever get up, and preach something like that again. You are disowned as my husband. If you don't know who Colonel Sanders is and how to pronounce his name, you're not allowed to live here in Kentucky. Everyone in the meeting was looking at me like I had four heads. But I was looking at them like they had four heads. Who are you? God opened up doors in the school system. We've seen incredible fruit. I was in a meeting this this year in January during the fast because I knew going into the schools, what Dalton schools want in them. Talk to me. Brian. Talk about it. Word of God, Bibles, prayer. I had the same mindset that you had. 
how am I going to do this? I said, Lord, I'm not a motivational speaker. Because the only thing that motivates me is you. Yeah. I can't get up and talk about like principles of the power of truth. The power of change. The only person that can change us is Jesus. So I'm sitting in that meeting. The Lord told me to sow a certain amount of money. I did. And as soon as it hit the bucket, the Lord spoke to me and said, create the curriculum. He showed me how to make it. When I made it, I made one for small groups. And the other portion I made for an assembly set. I've told the stories in here before about what's happened over the last 10 months. But what happened, did I tell the story about with the teacher? It's the last time I was here. I did? Yeah. I did a teacher's luncheon. I, I ended up getting favor with the principal in the alternative school. Christian told me I could come into his building as much as I wanted to minister to the alternative school here. Me and Phil, we go into the schools three days a week. Every week. We don't skip a beat. I asked him, can we have a teacher's luncheon so we can bless you? to start the school year. Yeah, so there was 15 teachers in there. We got one of the, the kids that was in the alternative school. Over the summer, we got him involved in a church camp, teen camp. God radically changed his life. He was leading at the kids' camp, helping out. And then I had him come and tell his testimony to all the teachers. And he got up and began to talk about what the Lord had done in his life. It was powerful. Not a, not a dry eye in that room. And then I got up right after him. and I Because and I, I told him, the reason I'm here is to make your job easier. Teachers have some hard jobs these days. I get up. They're all weeping. Why? Because the anointing was in a school building. Not a church service. In a school building already. already. I say, if you're in this room right now and you're not right with Jesus Christ and you need to give your heart to the Lord. If you die today, you don't know where you would spend eternity. You need to give your heart to Jesus Christ. I just want you to see. I said, bow, bow your head and close your eyes. Well, in church, everyone bows their head and close their eyes. In school, they don't. They just stare at you. Like, I thought this altar call is going over very well. They all just stare at me. I said, you need to give your heart to Jesus. Just slip your hand up. There was one teacher sitting in the back. A tear came and rolled down her face. Lifted her hand for eternal salvation. Next thing you know, the assistant principal and other teachers start nudging each other. They start lifting their hands. The presence of the Holy Ghost, the same presence that you feel in this room tonight was in that room. It was powerful. The Holy Ghost was moving in that school. This past week, we went to a, I went to a school Monday morning. Had my first assembly. Now, the way I set up my assembly setting was I told them 45-minute testimony. Uh, I'm trying to teach you something. If you will catch the anointing, the prophecy, the word of the Lord, God will give you the way to do it Amen. so that it works even when everyone else says that don't work. Amen. Trust me. Hey, I didn't think it was going to work either. I didn't think it was going to work more than anyone else thought it was going to work. I go in there. I have it set up, 45-minute testimony. And then at the end, I have it written in paper. I'm going to give a call to action. In church, we would call that an altar call. Yeah. Under that, I said, at the end of the assembly, I'm going to give an opportunity for a voluntary prayer. Which, what we call that in church, is to give people the opportunity to receive Jesus Christ. 
I get up, I tell my testimony, I can feel the resistance. I spoke to about 700 students. First class, 350. Second class, 350. First class, I can feel the resistance in the room. Teachers looking at what the heck is this kid talking about? You bring religion into the school? And I'm just, I'm over it. Shut up. <laughs> You're religious. You're religious about what's not religious. You're religious about the Kentucky Wildcats. You're religious about Halloween. You got skulls and pumpkins and everything hanging up in here. So don't tell me that you don't like religion because you've made religions out of things that aren't even religious. So I give a call to action. I said, if my story spoke to your heart, and you know right now in your heart that you need to change, there's things that, that you realize, I need to change my mind. Let's slip, slip your hand up. Kids, raise your hand. Next call. You, you, you realize that you've been changed, but you need to be the change for your generation. Hands go up. I, I give a call to action. When they make their way to the floor, I turn my mic off. Boom. All the teachers and students are staring at me. I turn the mic off. I turn the mic off. I get down on one knee where none of them can see me. And I tell them, all change begins with giving your heart to Jesus Christ. Amen. I said this is a voluntary prayer. If you don't want to give your heart to Jesus right now and you don't want to pray, you can go back to your seat. All of them stood there and just were like, we're in. Yes. I said, if you want to give your heart to Jesus right now, we're going to pray. We're going to pray. They gave their hearts to the Lord. The teachers, they exit the building. The lady comes back in and she says, the teachers are already out there complaining because you prayed. So here comes the assistant principal. He said, listen, I'm a Christian. I, I know what you're doing. I'm glad someone does because I don't even know what I'm doing. <laughs> he said, look, I'm going to introduce you. He gets up. He says, everybody in second class, this is Cody. He's going to tell his testimony. He is going to be talking about God. He is going to be talking about his faith. He's not trying to push his religion on him, but he is going to be talking about the Lord. Now, at the end, he's going to offer a voluntary prayer. If you don't want to be a part of that voluntary prayer, everyone can exit the room and the people that want to stay can stay. So that time it felt good. I, I did my thing, called action, altar call, call to salvation. 83 students give their hearts to Jesus
He's going to say, hey, depart from me. Get to the get 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 to the left. Go. You're either a sheep or a goat. We sit in the meeting, and I, and I told her, I said, I don't, you know, I've already been through this a hundred times. It doesn't matter anymore at this point. She's like, uh, she's like, yeah, I want to talk to him. I told him what people were saying. She said he didn't seem concerned. It's amazing because Christians always do. We can't do that here, brother. We'll catch a lawsuit. Oh, okay. Is that what we're trying to do? Is not catch a lawsuit? Just asking. Is that what we're trying to do? Stay out of jail? You never try to stay out of jail until now. It was never a problem before. Get a phone card, some commentary, five minute phone call for free from your little indigent envelope to write a letter. No one's even going to write you back anyway. You're going to sell for a couple coffees. If we're going to see revival, we're going to have to pay a price. Right. Salvation was free. If you've been saved, that, that ship sailed a long time ago. Now it's time to do something for the Lord that's going to cost. The anointing cost you something. I, I told him in a meeting, I said, look, this is what we want to do. We want to do an after-school faith-based service for these kids. Would you be up for it? And he said, well, I mean, as long as it's voluntary and it don't cost us any money. So we should be good. So I'm just telling you, it, hey, it may come to nothing, but what I'm doing is I'm at least telling you that I'm, I'm doing what I can. I'm stepping out and believing God for the impossible. Yeah. What price are you willing to pay to see 83 students come to Jesus? What price are you willing to pay to see one person come to Jesus? There was a missionary, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but he went to the Aztec Indians to preach the gospel. And uh, they would go over there and some missionaries, and they got murdered for going over there to preach the gospel. Yeah. Gave their lives to the gospel. To get, to get the gospel to an unreached people. Friend, I'm telling you right now, there's more unreached people in America than you think. About a year later, a reporter came up to his wife and said, Hey, your husband, he gave his life in a foreign land 